Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 857 of the Juice Box Podcast. Chris Freeman is back on the podcast today. Chris has type 1 diabetes. He's a multi-sport athlete and a four-time Olympic cross-country skier. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Hey, if you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, can you please take the T1D exchange survey for me? It'll take you fewer than 10 minutes, completely HIPAA compliant, absolutely anonymous, simple questions about diabetes, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. These answers that you'll give help diabetes research. They significantly help. You can be a part of that right from your sofa, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. The podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. Contour Next dot com forward slash juice box best meter i've ever used or held i'm holding up my hand to whatever you it is you swear to like you know when they put your hand on a bible and the courtroom you're like i swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so yeah contour next one i love a contour meter contour next.com forward slash juice box there are links in the show notes of the audio app you're using right now and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Givo Kypo pen contour and all of the sponsors. Hi, I'm Chris Freeman. I had diabetes for over half my life now. I'm 42 years old, um, but I've had a pretty uh, good run with it. I've skied in four Olympics, uh, uh, cross-country skiing. I've done some Ironman triathlons. Um, I've got an awesome family. Um, so diabetes has not uh, kept me from doing what I want to do. It's just made it interesting. Interesting is a funny word. Um, you are uh, saying those words at an, at an interesting time because last week I put out an episode where I talked to a therapist uh, about that phrase that people say, diabetes doesn't stop me. And we talked about how it's kind of a like a two-pronged thing. There are some people I've witnessed say it, and what they mean is I'm on top of it. My blood sugars are great you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm living a healthy life. Diabetes doesn't stop me. And some people say from the perspective of like, well, things aren't going great, but you know, I still went out. I still did this thing. I do the things I do. And even though my A1C is blah, 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 I don't let diabetes stop me. It's interesting. You know, I definitely noticed that too, you know, with, with all my travels to uh, various diabetes events and stuff, I hear that as well. And you get some people that think, you know, it doesn't stop me. I went to this event, I passed out, um, and I ended up in the ER, but it doesn't stop me. And I'm not 
you know, I'm not, I'm not going to judge anyone for not being able to manage their disease because it is a difficult disease to manage. But to me, it sounds like it did stop you. Yeah. No, it's just, it's, and we, we talked all through the different perspectives and why someone, why it's still a great feeling to have. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm choosing the most generous side of it by thinking that people are saying, even though this thing is difficult and I am not doing what I would want to be doing with it, I haven't given up. Like I, I, I'm kind of leaning into that idea, but um, you're just you're just an interesting person because you're incredibly athletic and you're a you know a healthy eater. I think probably to say the least. Your photo of you with a um, omni wearing an Omnipod and a Dexcom. If I Google your name and diabetes and look at photos, the picture on my website from 2014 still comes up first because it, I think it was so impactful for people to see somebody. Um, as lean as you are wearing those devices and, and having success with them. Um, well, I should maybe send you an updated photo. <laughs> <laughs> Have things gotten away, Chris? No, 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 you're doing no I'm actually, I'm actually still really fit, but we got to get the, uh, the Omnipod five up on the, on the, yeah, that's a good on idea. The body instead of the yeah. old one. I imagine that's the, the, probably the original pod on you back then. Uh, but you know, it's just, You've always you've been on the podcast twice. You were on the twenty sixth episode of the podcast, and you'll this one will probably be in the late eight hundreds. Um, and you were on again a couple of years later. But I've always just enjoyed talking about diabetes with you because you have a very um, sort of a no bullshit view of it, and I've always appreciated that. I I very much do have a no BS. Uh, a view of it. I mean, you, you either manage it to the best of your ability and it impacts your life um, to a minimum or you ignore it to your detriment. Yeah. In my uh, um, and you've never been afraid to say it. And I always, I've always thought that you're, uh, you're helping people when you do that. So I, I'm my first question that's been on my mind since I knew we were going to talk is how do you, how do you go from like being in four Olympics and and that being your world and your life and what you train for and what you think about to not doing it anymore. Like, is the transition difficult? Um, the transition was difficult for sure. And I, I managed it by jumping pretty much right into another sport. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I was able to get some sponsors to, to go into triathlon and uh, with the goal of going to the world championships, uh, which I did. Um, so I didn't train as much as I did for cross country skiing, but I, I had a coach, I had a training plan and that really helped me with the transition out of, uh, full-time skiing Yeah. Um, because it, it was familiar to just suddenly not do anything. I, I, I don't know how I could have handled that. Um, but I, I'm also a little different and I've had teammates from the U S ski team that retire and they say, Oh my God, it's so nice not to have a training plan anymore. I don't wake up and worry about training. And I don't really relate to that. Um, if I hadn't gotten older, I would still be doing it. Yeah. I, I loved doing it and I love training. I love ski racing, but you know, your body just doesn't respond to training at 42 and your maximal abilities start to decline and you can't, you can't compete at the Olympic level anymore. Right. It's just my life. Yeah. I, it mean, it meant more to me because I watched last, well, last summer we were at what ended up being my son's last collegiate baseball game. But as the game starts that day, 
you don't think that's the last game, right? They could have gone on. It looked like they were going to. Um, and I experienced something. The game ended. And my first thought was, I didn't know that last at bat would be his last at bat where I would have, and I don't know what I thought next, but I felt like I would have enjoyed it differently or looked at it. I don't know exactly, but to me, it was just part of the game and they were going to play again two days later. And then it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is it. And I looked around for him and I couldn't, I couldn't see him anywhere. He wasn't in the dugout. He wasn't on the field. He wasn't, you know, surrounding the field. And I finally found him in the parking lot, like sitting on a curb. And just, he was staring out into space. And I'm always going to wonder what he was thinking about then. Y- you know, um, ha- after having done this thing, not not at the Olympic level, uh, but since he was four years old. And um, I don't know, I just th- I thought of you about that. I did some staring into space for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also, I also in, you know, in 2018 was my last official pro ski race. And I... You know, I told my coach, I told my wife that, yeah, I don't think I'm going to ever ski race again because, you know, I only want to do this at the highest level I can achieve. I don't want to go in and kind of half-ass it. Mm. But then, of course, it snowed in New England um, super early the next year, and I had skiing at Thanksgiving, and I went out and skied, and I'm like, no, this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) I remember this. Yeah. And then then I was skiing a lot, and Nationals was in Vermont that year, and I called up my old coach and said, I think I'm going to show up. And so I showed up in 2019 and I just off of, you know, residual fitness, I got third at nationals Hmm. and uh, it's like, well, maybe I will race with diminished abilities as I go on because I still really love this. Yeah. Well, you know, to your point, my, my son just left a few weeks ago. Uh, He moved to Atlanta to take a job and uh, we're packing up his car and I saw a baseball glove in his car. And I thought, what the hell is he going to do with that? And now, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if he'll ever touch it or if he just brought it because he felt like I'd never go anywhere without this thing, you, you know, like, but it was a, uh, it was an interesting thing. I, I actually, we, as we were packing him up, he forgot something in the basement and he and I went down together to get it. And his, his his bag was there, the bag he takes to his games. It has all this crap in it, you know. And he saw it unzipped and he bent down and repacked it the way I had seen him pack it like a million times. And he zipped it up and just kind of picked it up and then sat it back down again. Like he was leaving it there, but taking care of it one more time before he left, you know. And mm-hmm. uh I I was hard not to cry, Chris. <laughs> I have to admit. Um but then watching him live those next months and reorder his life and, and find other things. That was, that was interesting and, and kind of uh, heartwarming. Actually, it it was hard to watch him go through it, but it felt good to watch him succeed and, and, and get that. And I I've seen you do a number of things over the last couple of years. And I always have, I mean, you're not my son, but I always have warm feelings like that about, Oh, look, Chris is, I don't know why he's running over this big thing and down a slide or whatever the hell he's doing, but like that looks fun. And, um, and it's nice to know that you're, that you're still doing stuff. How do you make a living though? Like that fascinates me. Like I know, I imagine as a, as an Olympic athlete, there's sponsorship, but how do you do it? Like, what are you doing right now? 
Um, I don't make as good a living um, not being an Olympic athlete. Um, I did have some sponsors for triathlons and for adventure racing, but I'm also looking for more sponsors for sure mm-hmm. uh, to keep it going. Um, it's it's really it's fun for me to do these to do these other events. Like when I was when I was com- competing only in skiing, I wanted to do. Uh, these bizarre races like um, I think I sent you a, a paper I wrote about the Inferno pentathlon yep. and um, you know I look at that and I couldn't really do it while I was training full time because I could get hurt I couldn't really prepare for it um, but I really wanted to do it and that uh, for your listeners I mean it's this insane race with a long history on Mount Washington which is the largest peak in the on the east coast and um, it starts with a six-mile fat bike, a six-mile cross-country ski, a five-mile traverse snowshoe, and then you um, skin slash hike. Skinning is when you put skins on your bases of your skis and you hike up a steep hill mm-hmm. um, for four miles to the top of the head wall on Mount Washington. And then you ski back down to the parking lot. Wow. And um, when I first saw that event you know of course one of my first thoughts is oh god how am i going to manage this with blood sugar what are what are the things um and that those thoughts motivate me because i'm well i can figure this out and and it's never also like i can figure out how to finish it it's like no i can finish it i can figure out how to dose myself for this race and win the thing um and those that's just my competitive nature and it's it used to be about proving to myself that i was still okay even though i had diabetes and now i can appreciate it more as just the challenge Mm -hmm. well how do you do something like that like you know i mean just why don't we like go back just to cross-country skiing for a second then we'll get back to the thing that sounded insane that you just said about walking up a mountain with skis on and then skiing back down. <laughs> but um, just to get up in the morning and go train, is it a similarity? You keep your meals the same, you keep your nutrition the same, or is it adjusting to what's happening with your body day to day? I mean, how would you characterize? Because being able to train is the most important thing, right? Like if you show up and your blood sugars are too high, you're not going to obviously have the success that you need. And if they're too low, you can't do this thing. So, and you have to train. So how do you make sure that you're where you want to be? Um, well, I'm, I wear the, the Dexcom G6. So I have a very constant idea of where my blood sugars are at and I never let them get very far out of range. Um, using the, I've only been using the deck, the, um, Omnipod five now for about a month, mm-hmm. uh, Besides that, I only had a very short dalliance with an automated system. I use some of the, you know, the off-market software, but I'm not particularly adept at software. And so I got off of it. Um, but when I'm training twice a day, it's not uh it's not a spontaneous thing. It's not, oh, I'm gonna train now. It's there's a there's a prep from a few hours beforehand to make sure that the sugars are right, that I'm eating the right thing, that I don't have too much insulin on board that's going to drive me low um you know i eat a snack right before i go out i carry nutrition when i'm out there um and then for the second session i do it all over again mm-hmm. so, so it's training a, it's about eating at a time where <clears throat> excuse me prior to the training 
there's no active insulin. Like you want the active insulin from the previous meal to be done before you head outside. Either that, or I want to have very little active insulin in. So, okay. you know, if, if I, you know, I can't, I can't live my life, um, completely revolved around training anymore with a four-year-old, mm-hmm. um, and, and other obligations anymore. So if I want to train in the morning, I would get up and eat a very, a breakfast, very high on protein, take a small bolus so that there isn't bolus driving me down when I go out 30 minutes later and carry some carb with me while I'm going that kind of finishes the meal as I'm out there and, um, offsets the insulin on board. Oh, that's interesting. And when you, what do you carry with you? Uh, like while you're training, is it like dense things like, like, I don't know, like nutrition bars or what do you do? Well, pretty much the only time I eat simple carbs is when I'm working out. Like, you know, um, so, you know, um, goo packet gels, mm-hmm. uh, sport beans, um, anything, anything that's just basically straight up sugar. Yeah. Um, because at that point, if the sugar's dropping, you don't want it to be a slow rise. Right. Um, I eat the complex carbs when I'm uh, going to be sitting around for a while or recovering from my workout. But right. when I'm out there, it's it's simple refined sugars, and generally, it's you know, it's it doesn't really matter the brand. It's some type of power bar, cliff bar type thing. Because of your unique situation, that the way you explain it is is so clear. And then when you try to apply that back into a regular person's life where you hear like, oh, I, I went to my soccer practice, my kid's soccer practice, and they always get low there. Or they always go high at this thing. Or I realize that they're trying to make, they want diabetes to fit into their schedule and you're fitting diabetes into the schedule. Like, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like you're taking it into account as you're setting up your day. And I think other people can sometimes want it just to work. Like, and I understand why, like, don't get me wrong. Like it's a, it's a lot to plan for and you have kids running around and where you're an adult who's leaving work and thinks like, maybe I could catch a workout here, you know, like, like real quickly and you don't plan for it. But then even when that happens, that's when simple sugars come into play and you kind of buoy yourself if you're getting low in those situations. Yeah. I, I repeat many times people that the spontaneity is not something that, uh, is friendly with diabetes. You know, you, I can be spontaneous, mm-hmm. but it will often mean eating more sugar than I want to, to, um, or, or not being able to do something later in the day because of what I, it will impact my diabetes to do something spontaneously active. Yeah. Um, so it's, my days are very planned. Um, and you know, I even plan playing with my son. You know, if we're okay, we're gonna. We have a half a mile trail down to our uh, playground at the local elementary school. You know, I will plan for that because I'm gonna have to chase him all through the woods and make sure he doesn't fall off the jungle gym and then carry him back up the hill. Um, and then I'm gonna want to go train again. So, um, what I eat, when I eat, and how much insulin I have on board is all very planned. Um, and I found that you know, using the automated system. Frequently during the day, I'm going back to manual as as opposed to automated um, because it it can't predict what I'm going to do two hours from now. And if I'm slightly high, I don't want to have it kicking in extra insulin 
that I'm unaware of that is going to then uh, drive me low or or surprise me when I'm working out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an interesting point is that you can't tell any automated system. I'm going for that walk with my kid two hours from now. So it's it's acting in the moment and with its eye on keeping stability, not knowing it's coming. Have you tried the activity mode on it yet? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fast um, enough for when you make the decision to go or? Well, I mean, my activity is pretty active. <laughs> See, I think that's the other thing we're not talking about, Chris, is that I think you're active in a way that most of us aren't. <laughs> so, I mean, like intensity, I guess it should be my. I mean, the activity mode, yeah, that would work for going down to the playground for my son. That doesn't that doesn't work for swimming 3,000 meters and then going for a 12-mile run. Right, right. That's, Two different things. Um, yeah. But it is, I'll tell you, it's nice to be able to... When you have diabetes and use insulin, low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it. Gvoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. At some point on your diabetes journey, a person gave you a blood glucose meter. Did they say to you, hey, this is a great blood glucose meter. It's one of the most accurate ones that they ever made. No, no, no one said that. Did they say, by the way, there are other blood glucose meters. You might want to look into it. I'm just going to give you this one because I have it here in the drawer. Nope, they didn't say that either. They just gave it to you and you thought, well, this must be my blood glucose meter because the doctor gave it to me. But there are many meters and they're not all made equally. You deserve an accurate, well-made, and easy-to-use blood glucose meter. You deserve the Contour Next One. The Contour Next One is my favorite blood glucose meter. I know that's a strange thing to say, but we've used a number of them over the years, and this one is my favorite. Why? Bright light for use at night. The screen, super easy to read. It's manageable, and by that I mean it's a good size. It's not too big. It's not too small. And I love the way it fits in my hand. It's sort of um, because of the shape, which you'll see at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Almost feels like you're holding a like a pen in your hand. I don't know how to put it exactly. You'll see when you get to the website. But the Contour Next One blood glucose meter is incredibly accurate. But you might be worried, Scott, all this accuracy. Uh, is it more expensive? Am I going to be paying a bunch more money? Uh, I don't think so. Actually, if you go to contournext.com forward slash juice box, you can actually buy it right now at a number of online venues. Walmart, Amazon, Walgreens, CVS, the list goes on and on, Target, Rite Aid. And so when you get to my link, check it out. Because you might be able to save time and money buying Contour Next products from the convenience of your home. What am I saying? Well, I'm saying that it's possible that this meter and the test strips could be cheaper in cash then you're paying right now through your insurance company for an inferior product. How crazy is that? You owe it to yourself to be using the best equipment that you can. And there's no reason not to check out the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Contournext.com forward slash juice box.
it's nice to be able to do that, to let the the algorithm do what it's going to do. And then if you get to a point where you're like, I don't, I think I've zigzagged too quick for this thing. I'll, I'll just go back to what I normally do. And, uh, and then go back for You're probably sleeping much better on an algorithm. Oh my God. I think right away. I mean, I, I, you know, just like you, I keep the numbers really tight and those, the alarms just once or twice every night I'd wake, I would wake up, correct, go back to sleep. And I would say, so in the month, I've probably only been awoken by an alarm four times in the last month. Ah, oh, that's great. That's such a big deal. And people just, you, you know, it's, it's that slow loss that you have when you, when diabetes comes into your world. And then at first you're like, oh, it's okay. I, I, you know, I'm losing like an hour's sleep. I'll be all right. Or, and you think you are, but man, six months, a year into it, you don't realize how you've declined from not sleeping regularly. It's just, it's difficult and um, it's not good for your health on top of everything else. So um, yeah, I, I I would say number one thing you get out of an algorithm, any of them, honestly, is sleeping overnight. Such a great, such a great part of it. And, and the well, whole, good. I was just gonna say, yeah, I've been very, that my hope was that it would really aid with my guys sleeping when I switched to it and it has. And the other was that it would be a pretty seamless transition, uh, transition to go back between automated and manual. And it's very simple. Yeah. Um, so I've been pretty happy with that as well. It's excellent. Very cool. Uh, are you, so you're going to have to hold off on G7 Dexcom until Omnipod 5 works with it. Um, I, I guess so. <laughs> um, uh, that, that appears to be the, the case. Um, I'd like to get on the seven as soon as possible. And, you know, whenever Omnipod has sent me little, um, evaluations of their new system, I said, Keep this thing up to date with the latest tech. I mean, come on. Yeah. Seven's been in development for years. Yeah, they're working on it. I think it's, um, I mean, I can't say. I'm not allowed. I, I don't, I should say that I don't know anything. But it's my, you know, it's my anticipation that it, it, uh, it'll happen as absolutely fast as it can. Um, but yeah. It's, I, also want, I also want an iOS system. I do not want to buy an Android phone, but I might have to. Yeah. No, I agree. It's funny, too, how... Um, in every walk of life, that's an issue. I was looking at some technology the other day. I think it was like a somebody was flying a drone, and their phone was the screen to the drone. I was like, that's really interesting. They're like, show that to me. And they were showing it to me. And um, they said, oh, I, I switched from this drone to this drone because it didn't have one of the other, I forget which one it was, one of the other phones didn't work with it. And I thought, man, that's interesting. That's a that's a issue like across the board, I guess. Like, not. I always just think of it as, the things that impact my life, but there's a, you know, something I have no knowledge of. And, um, they have the same problem. The guys over there, like, I wish it would just work with this phone. And I'm like, all right, I don't know. Like I, it just, it's gotta stop at some point being a problem. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't understand the technology behind it or why it is an issue, but I agree with you. Uh, iOS would be amazing for, for Omnipod five. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. So what, I don't, I, you, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask a lot of people in this. I think I know your answer already, but I want to ask anyway. Do you think at all about getting your son tested like through trial net? Do you ever think about that? Have you done it? I have not done it. I do think about it. Do you, yeah. talk, do you guys ever talk about it seriously? Um, well, I will talk. We were thinking more of waiting until he was about six years old okay. to, to start getting his four now. Take a look then. Um, um 
and then how would you see that? Would you see it as like, if, you know, great, there's no auto antibodies, terrific. Or if there are, we'll know what to look for. Like, what's the feeling inside when you try to decide to do that? Well, I mean, if there's, if there's signs that he's going to get diabetes, I mean, I would want to know um, so that I could do everything that I could to prevent it. Um, what, what is the feeling would be anxiety, <laughs> you know, um, I, I've obviously learned to manage this disease quite well, but I would never wish it on anyone, let alone my son. Right. So, um, yeah, that, well, that's, that, that's the, the thing right there, right? Like just because you're, you found your way with it doesn't mean Hey, no problem. Uh, and and I, I've just heard people talk about it. And some people are like, I don't want to know if it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I've heard, I don't want to worry about it the whole time. And I, and I say, well, don't you worry about it anyway? You, yeah, you know, I'm, like, I'm with you. I'm already worried about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How would you not think about that? Right. So um, I, I, I'm in the camp of I'd like to know. And especially with uh, the TZL drug that just got approved from the FDA and the work they're doing with putting off diagnosis for people and it, just seems like knowing would be a would be the way to go. But I was just interested in how you felt about it. Well, also for my own transition, I was diagnosed so early. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, you you probably know the story already, but to recount it, I was training with the US ski team in Park City, and they gave fasting glucose tests to see how we were handling recovery. You know, so all my teammates are between seventy and ninety, and mine comes back at two forty, hmm. which. Actually, they didn't even tell me, but that the first time they was like, nope, that was an error in the test. They did it again. They did it again two months later. I was 270. Um, and I got diagnosed, but at the time of my diagnosis, my A1C was only 72. Mm-hmm. Well, all that activity was probably helping you, right? Oh, for sure. It was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because I was diagnosed so early, it also really helped with the transition because I still was in the honeymoon phase for a long time. Um, before I was fully dependent. Yeah. And do you, looking back, do you appreciate that that honeymoon took a while or cause you, you hear some people talk about both ways. Like people with little kids are like, I would just like it to be consistent. You know, I don't want diabetes to come full force right away, but at least it would be consistent then. But for you, I'm wondering. Um, for me, it was, it was kind of, uh, it, it, it helped for sure. Yeah. You know, the, it, it took some of the some of the pressure off of, of managing because you, it helped. Um, the 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 downside was that I was constantly adjust, adjust adjusting doses um, from month to month, from year to year. What worked the year before didn't work anymore. Um, but overall, it helped mm-hmm. to still have some of my own insulin production. How old were you at that point? I was diagnosed uh, just before. For my 20th birthday. So is that your first Olympics you're training for? Or where were you in your career? Um, So I had um, competed in three world junior championships at that point. I was heavily recruited by college. And I decided to go to the University of Vermont. I went there for a year on a sports scholarship. And then the U.S. ski team offered a residency program leading up to the 2020 the 2002 Olympics in Park City. Mm -hmm. And I decided to do that. And it was within four months of moving there that I got diagnosed. Wow. So I was initially kicking myself um, because, 
my scholarship would have been guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the U.S. ski team, if you don't ski fast, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's there's no uh, there's no empathy there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was certainly feeling the pressure. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's the first time you put a pump on? How old were you then? I used inject. So I was diagnosed in 2000 and I used, I switched to Omnipod in 2008. Okay. So you did MDI for seven or eight years. I did. Yeah. Uh, but I was all, but I was doing it in a way most people don't. I was taking probably at least a dozen shots a day. You were my, you were acting like a pump within it with a syringe. Yes. Constant, constant corrective boluses. Um, I was, you know, I was using, um, rapid acting insulin, but I was also using Lantus. Mm-hmm. Um, on occasion I would use Lantus and NPH at night because I didn't want to have that much Lantus going through the day. Um, it became as, uh, the honeymoon phase ended, it became more and more complicated. Yeah. That was a little a science experiment there for a while. Um, I have to just, I have to comment that you like you're aging so well, you look exactly like when I met you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm embarrassed that at how I look versus how you look at right now. Like I just seriously, I, if you were 12 feet away from me, I'd think that guy's 25. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> seriously. You're doing really well. I mean, it's a lot, right? Like it's a lot of activity, which yes, helps with that, but still it's, it's hard on your body. I would imagine skiing can't be easy on you. And then the diabetes on top of that, are you seeing any ill effects of the diabetes at this point in your life or? Um, I have, I have no retinopathy. Um, I, no, no, um, but a doctor has not told me that I've got any, um, long-term issues developing from diabetes at this point. You know, um, I've also, I've also, Aside from, you know, the 7.2 that I had a diagnosis, I have never recorded an A1C above seven Yeah, in that's, 20 years. That's so, so I don't know how many diabetics are out there that have done that. And, and I'd really like to know where are the numbers that are going to contribute to long-term problems yeah you know is below a seven enough is below six where's the target and and then of course there's going to be individualism in that yeah no i think that's a question that runs in everyone's mind like because i get asked it a lot like where's okay or how high is too high or how low is, you know that's the other question people are like well how low should i go um you know people want to know like if i have a low blood sugar Am I okay if it's, you know, 65 for a couple of minutes, if it's this, like it's, it's always that, that desire to just be, to have a, a goal in mind, you know, I think is, is important. And studies come out and they go back and forth and they vary with their answers and then technology gets better. And, um, you know, we start talking about time and range in the last two years, which isn't something anybody really spoke about before then. Um, it's, a uh, I mean, it's to me. It sounds like you're doing fantastic. I remember, I remember hearing about the time and range thing probably 15 years ago. You know, so it doesn't matter what your A1C is; it's the time and range. And the, the, the doctor just kept ranting on this, and I'm like, 
Isn't this common sense? <laughs> right. If my if my A one C is six and a half, wouldn't I mostly be in range? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I mean, like, if, if my blood sugar is always fifty or two fifty, wouldn't that not be good? <laughs> yeah. Well, that. Well, yeah. But you'd be surprised how many people, you know, trick their A one C test basically by being very low and then alternating with being high and low, and then the test, of course, comes back just showing you a you know, a median number and you're like, oh, my A1C is six. And, but I, but more, I guess it, it is important to be talking about because more and more I do hear people say my A1C is lower, but I'm not coming upon it. Honestly, I know that. And, you know, so maybe the education did work for that, but um, it's just, it's an interesting idea that um, the way they used to talk about it versus now. And I mean, you've been through some management, you know, you weren't super old when you got it or, or it wasn't such a long time ago, but you know, you had a little NPH in there, but you were never NPH and regular. You never were in that in that mindset. I would think you're doing great, you know? I never had to use regular. Uh, my first two insulins I was prescribed was Humalin, uh, Humalog and NPH. Mm -hmm. um, and then as soon as Lantus came out, I ditched the NPH. Is Lantus all you used for those eight years? Um, like I said earlier, I used NPH at night a little bit to um in in conjunction with the lantus yeah um, because i didn't want if a big enough dose of lantus to keep me in range during night would drive me low during the day when i was working out right but you never so, made it to like the modern ones like traceba or those you weren't injecting at that point by the time traceba was a thing i was using the omnipod yeah gotcha um does your I'm always interested in a married situation. How much interaction does your spouse have with your diabetes? Like from none to a lot. Where do you think it? Um, she's very good about um, thinking and thinking about it and understanding when I have to do things because of it. Um, she's always there to flick my syringe before I fill up my pod. You know, um, if I want to wear it on my back. She'll put it there. Um, she's really good about that. But at the same time, I, I do my best to not have it impact my family. And the way to do that is to be in range as much as I can. Yeah. Do you um, have do you have what you would consider a, a fueling style? Like, is there a, a way you eat? You know, some people are low carb, like, you know, vegetarian. Like, is there a way you eat or do you just eat what you want? know how to manage. I tailor my diet to um, my activity level. Okay. So on a day when I'm not training, which is rare, um, I'll eat higher protein, lower carb, um, and lower calorie. Mm -hmm. I'll try to match my calories to what I'm burning. Um, and then on a day, and then if I'm training a lot in successive days, I will gradually increase the amount of carbohydrate to replace it. Um, because as the glycogen stores get burned off, um, the ins you become that much more sensitive to the insulin in the system, and I can I'm burning that much more carb. Yeah, I, you're making me think of um, watching my son too when he got home from when he got home from college. He, you know, in between his years, he was always training, and even at the end, you know, there was a couple of months there where he just kept going. Like I think out of like just habit, like he just kept training because it's what he did. But on days when he was going to work out uh, on a baseball field and lift at the same time, there's times I'd look over at him and he'd have a bowl with, 
like pasta and you know like there was protein on the side and he's chicken and i'm like how could you eat all that he's like i don't even want all this i just i need this or i'll i'll start losing weight and i'll you know it, it was interesting to to watch that happen because i don't think most people actually if we all thought about it a little more like that it might be valuable for for some of us but um it was interesting to watch him do that the diabetes is really instant feedback um on whether i'm fueling enough or not you know, if suddenly my regular basal insulin dose is driving me low, I'm probably a little bit carbohydrate deprived mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. If I'm driving up, then um, I'm probably eating too many carbs for my activity level. Yeah. Um, but as far as do I follow a diet, I don't follow a paleo thing or a super low carb diet, but I avoid uh, processed foods like the plague. Yeah. Uh, that's the last thing I want to eat. Oh, it's it really is getting uh, foods in their natural form. The body just breaks them down. It's more predictable, um, and it, it. I don't like use the word using the word healthier, but I believe it is healthier. Yeah. Well, you're not a person I've ever looked at and thought to ask what uh, your favorite pop tart flavor was. So that's. <laughs> although yeah, I think it's been it's been, been a at while. least twenty years since I've had a pop tart. Yeah. I I um. I wonder sometimes when people talk about processed foods, if everyone even imagines the scope of what that means, you know, like, cause you'll hear people say like whole foods or, you know, natural, I want to eat something that's natural, but process can mean anything from pasta to bread to a potato chip, like anything that is, you know, I, I, I think the simple way people say it is like, if it comes in a box or a bag, I don't eat it. Um, is one of yeah, them. you can totally find uh, organic, non-GMO processed food. Yeah. It's not hard at all. <laughs> yeah, right. It's still, and it's still, it's that, the process that goes into creating that, that thing. I know some people would like, would balk at you even calling some of it food, but to, to create that food, your body then has to go through more of a process to break it back down again. And, you know, and there's a lot of stuff in there. You just don't know what it is. I, I'm a well, fan of just, I need to know what I'm eating at the very least, you know? Right. And it's the, it's the, there tends to be a lot of simple sugars and processed food, um, with the fiber stripped out of it, mm -hmm. uh, which makes, you know, the blood sugar spike more quickly. Um, it's just, uh, it's not a natural food. It's just more erratic. Yeah. Um, and, and it very much shows up when I, when I'm trying to balance things with insulin. Mm -hmm. Can you tell, I mean, when's the last time? Maybe you haven't had it in a, enough time, but I was going to say, could you tell in your performance if you haven't eaten as clean as you want to? Um, well, I can't tell you the last time I didn't eat clean before an event, mm -hmm. so I can't say. Um, on a on a training day, maybe. Um, but I also, if I was doing a hard interval session, once again, I would eat clean beforehand. Yeah. Um, it's very rare that I don't. Um, and it's generally because there's nothing else available. Do you think that that's just how you're hardwired that, that like right now that this conversation isn't making you think like, wow, I have not had a cheesesteak in a really long time, like, or something like that. Like, or, are you just, you, did you grow up that way? Was it in your family? Um, you know what I mean? Um, diabetes definitely changed my relationship to food. Okay. Um, and it is, and I don't know that it, this is like relatable for anybody, but I very much view food as fuel. Um, and, you know, 
obviously there's certain foods that I enjoy eating, but I enjoy being able to do the things I want to do in my day more than eating that food. Mm-hmm. And if eating that food is going to impact the rest of my day in a negative way or impact my blood sugars in a negative way, it's, like, it's just not worth it to me. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, you, I hear people say a lot of a, a term used in diabetes is I get to eat this many carbohydrates today. And I just, I, tr- I guess I try to steer away from viewing food as a reward mm-hmm. and more as a means to an end. <laughs> well, and the reason I ask is because I, I agree with you and I can tell you that from in my personal, I mean, you and I are not, you know, there's, there's a, an argument to be made that if we were standing next to each other, we wouldn't be able to, uh, some people might not think we're in the same species, but my point is, is that I agree with you about eating. And on days when I eat like that, everything's just better. I don't know another way to put it. Like, you know, uh, the other day I I went out and I bought some steak and I made it up and I sliced it up and I put it back in the fridge and, you know, I got up and uh, it was late in the day. I took a couple of eggs. I threw in a couple pieces of the steak and I threw it together and I had it for breakfast. I had a great day. Yeah. You know, I put a, I had something with a salad. I threw a little more of my steak and I did that. Like you skip throwing croutons on something. Like I don't put a bunch of dressing on it. I have a great day. The next day comes along. I don't know why my brain doesn't say keep going. Like, I don't know why I'm not stuck in it. Like, because I agree with it. I definitely feel better when I do it. And then, you know, by Wednesday, I don't know what happens. Like, I'm just wondering, like. Because we're biologically programmed to want to eat a lot of sugar and fat. Yeah. That's why. And so you don't have diabetes, so you don't have an immediate consequence for when you give into it. Yeah. I don't have a thought right away of like, oh, I can't do that. So that that is really it, is that something is going to happen to me that I'm not going to appreciate, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, how my energy in the bathroom, basically, like in that range. And, um, but it's not, it's not something you're right. It's not something I have to deal with in the moment while I'm eating the food. Yeah, maybe right. that is the difference. It's interesting. I appreciate you talking about that with me. Um, well, you know, I, I also I wanted to back up to what you were saying about the soccer game and, you know, kids, parents trying to figure out how to dose their kids at the soccer game. And once again, it's that I really believe that diabetes treatment starts with your diet. Mm-hmm. If you eat a good diet of non-processed food with an appropriate amount of calories, that is the where you start, and then you then you go into the various treatments, the various insulins, the various monitoring systems. If you are living on, if you're giving your kid um, Fruit Loops before your your soccer game, you are not going to manage his blood sugars during that game. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, you're going to need a ton of insulin. Either you're going to either you're going to combat that cereal with a ton of insulin that is probably going to come back to bite you in the ass when they're running around. Or you're going to ignore the cereal, um, not hit it with enough insulin, have some big high blood sugar that's got the kid lackadaisically wobbling all over the, the soccer. And then you're going to have hours of a high blood sugar later. And probably the activity from the soccer won't even be enough to get through the cereal. It's So, you know, you know with, with all of my activity and stuff, I mean, it's, it's from the scientific method. I try to get um, the... Uh, I'm blanking on the word, the residual insulin. What's the, what's the proper word for residual insulin? Residual insulin? Insulin on board. Insulin on board. I try, to get, I try to get the insulin on board down to the basal. Right. 
Um, and that way, when I when I'm working out and something doesn't work, I know why, mm-hmm. and I can go back and I can make a minor adjustment and try again. Yeah. If you're a parent trying to only correct with insulin once the game has started, it's too late. Right. It's two or three hours before the game. It's important. Everything you do with insulin now is for later. Yes. It's just, yeah. It, you're never making a decision right now that's going to impact right now, unless you're saving a falling blood sugar. And that's not what I'm talking about. But uh, like, like my race is, you know, it is my last meal is three hours at the latest before that race. And anything I eat between then and the start of the race is only for correcting purposes. Yeah. Well, I think it's good for people to hear how it works. And listen, it's not going to be the same for everybody. They're not, everybody's not going to make the same decisions. But it's always been my, well, Chris, for the last number of years in the podcast, like I've, I, what I've said is I'm not in charge of how you eat. But I want you to understand how insulin works. If you're going to eat Fruit Loops, I want you to know how to bolus for Fruit Loops. If you're not, I want you to know how to do that. I think your settings are incredibly important. You need to understand the impact that insulin has on on the carbs. You have to get those carbs and that insulin in a tug of war while you're eating so that neither of them can kind of win, you know. But in the end, my goal is for people just to live well. And um, it, it just – but it's interesting to talk to you because you are doing it in such a specific way. And you're having such specific outcomes. It shows like, like I'll tell you when, if someone comes to me and says, I can't figure out this time of day. The first thing I'll say is, why don't you like eat something that's a little less, you know, maybe not as heavy with the glycemic load and, you know, and and give yourself a chance here to understand how this insulin works. And then if you want to add, you know what I mean? Like, like don't make it a college level course on the first day is kind of how I think about it. So. I think a package got delivered to my house and now both of my dogs are making sure that we all know about it. So kind of going back to my question about like, did you grow up in, you know, a setting that would set you up for thinking of food and activity this way? Not so much. It just kind of worked out that way for you. But now your son's going to grow up in a life where like his father and and your wife, if I'm not mistaken, right, are really active people. So mm-hmm. um, do you... In your mind, I know he's only little, but do you hope that he goes the route of a sport or plays in college something, or do you have different feelings about that now that you've lived through it? Um, I'm going to provide him with as much opportunity to do sport as he can, but I, I it's going to be difficult for me because of my competitiveness, but I'm going to try to stand back as much as I can and, and let him decide what he wants to do. Yeah. If he wants to be an athlete, he'll be an athlete. And I'll certainly give him every opportunity to pick the sport he wants to do. Yeah. So even if it's one you don't like, what sport don't you like? Do you have one that you just don't enjoy? Oh, well, not really. No. Um, I mean, I like playing billiards, but I, don't want him to be a professional billiard player, I guess. <laughs> All right. I'll take a stand right now. We didn't let our kids play soccer, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was my wife grew up on a soccer field, uh, watching her sisters play. And I think she just didn't have the heart to keep doing it anymore. Uh, but okay. So I want to go back all the way to the beginning. You talked about, I know you sent me your article, which I'm going to put up in conjunction with the, the podcast episode. Uh, but you go to this thing where you're describing I mean, it sounds like walking up a mountain in skis and skiing back down and kind of take me through that 
that process? Like, like from a diabetes perspective, how did that day go? Um, well, the race starts, unfortunately, really early. It starts at like eight in the morning. So I was up at four 30, mm-hmm. make sure that I had my breakfast in by five. Um, and I had to, you know, I thought long and hard about how I was going to dose for that race. Um, at that point I was still using, you know, I think you would refer to it as the Omnipod three. I, I skipped the dash. Um, I went straight from the three to the five. Um, just, you went, you didn't go down. Da- oh, you were using arrows pods. That's yes. what, that's what the originals were called. So you went from arrows. You didn't use a dash. Okay. So you were using that one. Yeah. When the dash came out, I looked at the benefits and I was like, there's nothing here that I really want. So you, <laughs> I just were, kept going with what I had. <laughs> you were okay with that old PDM? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I also knew that it was, uh, I mean, I've, I've dropped that thing riding my bike at 25 miles an hour and still works. So <laughs> So I woke up uh, three and a half hours in advance and I wore two pods Mm -hmm. Um, and I had each of them giving me 0.6 units uh, per hour um, instead of my usual basal rate of one unit per hour. And that so at my 1.2 and that was to um, offset race nerves, just little little disturbances in the morning as you try to set up your transition zones and stuff. I'll no matter how good I am at relaxing, I still get hit with a little bit of adrenaline that will raise my blood sugars as I go through the process mm-hmm. uh, in the morning. So then I had that set um, to drop down to only a quarter unit, so 0.25 units from each pod uh, for the start of the race. And I had that running for an hour. Okay. Um, then, oh, excuse me, I had that running for an hour and a half. Then I had it drop to a rate of 0.3 combined after that hour and a half. Um, And I left it there for about an hour before I tore one off. Okay. That's part of the reason I wear two pods is because it's very easy to make a correction by tearing one off. (laughs) So this is, I'm dying to know like the process here. Like, so what's the benefit of the two pods? Um, the benefit of the two pods is one, if one fails, which it does happen, still have um, I can instantly just change the pod. I can I can get the controller and change the dosage as I need to. So right. it's kind of a fail safe in a longer race. Okay. Um, the other is that if I'm running equal boluses, I mean equal basal rates as I'm going along, and I am trending low without having to take the time to pull my PDM out, change the dose, I can just pull the pot off. Interesting. Okay. And instantly half my dose. That, well, that's amazing. That's really, Chris, you've been at this a long time. You are your own science experiment, aren't you? Um, and, and so you got to- And I have to tell, I have to say that Omnipod, I believe absolutely hates that I wear two at a time because they- <laughs> That goes against every legal. <laughs> I would imagine that that's just not an FDA approved situation. Um, but but you're in a unique situation, right? Doing something that you know nobody's going to do, really. Like I mean, anybody else, you know, if their pod, their site goes bad or their pod stops working, they can change it and go along their way. But you know, those people aren't climbing up a mountain on skis. Or how far was a um? What 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 races did you compete in in the Olympics? How far were your cross country races? So the longest race I did was 50K 
um, about 30 miles. And depending on snow conditions, that would take uh, between an hour 50 and two hours and 20 minutes. Wow. Whereas this race you were just describing took me. So I'll go back through the events again. So I did a, a six mile fat bike through the snow on cross country ski trails. So it's pretty slow, but that takes, that took me about 25 minutes. Uh, then I switched to a 10 K cross country ski. Um, that took me another 25 minutes. Um, the snowshoe was th- just God awful. I was through like two feet of snow and I kept post holing. Do you know what post holing is? No, I stay out of the snow. Post holing is if there's like a little bit of a crust on the snow from when it melted and refroze, uh-huh. you, you kind of run along for a couple of strides on your snowshoes. And then all of a sudden you break through up to your groin <laughs> and you try to keep going. Well, I was the first one through and I was just post holing for five miles. So it was God awful. That, that took me over an hour. And then, um, it's uh the last event is called it's actually called us uh, ski mountaineering mm-hmm. and you've got this super lightweight carbon equipment and you've got um skins on the base of the skis and the skins are like a, a a fabric that allows you to glide a little bit but also kick on the ski so you can just run on them mm-hmm. and i wore those as i ran up mount washington um to basically the top of the head wall. And then at that point you ski down the head wall and uh, back out to the parking lot. So it was three and a half hours in total. Does everyone finish? No, no. I I mean, I'm imagining there's a dropout, a a significant, like, what do you think? How many people do you think started and how many people finished? Do you know? Um, I don't know. I think there was about 80 individuals and then there's a team event as well mm-hmm. uh, i don't know what the the dropout rate is i didn't i didn't really look there um but for sure when you got five events um yeah. and you know i did it in three and a half hours a lot of people are taking over six so wow. it, you know. what would have to happen chris for you to give up in something like that um i'd have to i'd have to have an extreme blood low blood sugar without um, a means to correct it. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'd have to be extremely high without a means to correct it or I'd have to hurt myself. Yeah. So obviously if you hurt your leg, you'd stop, but what if you have, have to hurt myself badly? I was going to say, what if you just <laughs> fell and broke your elbow? You'd keep going, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that might be, that might be genetic. Um, I mean, my, my father is 75 years old and four years ago he was doing a ski race <laughs> and he fell and he broke his pole and he hurt his arm and he got another pole, but he couldn't really use it. You know, someone handed him another pole yeah. and I saw him at the finish of the race. Cause I did the race too. And I saw him skiing around with one pole and thinking, Oh, this dumbass, he broke his pole. And I get over there and he's like, can you help me? I think I'm, I think I might pass out. I said, what's wrong? He's like, I think I broke my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> see, he was, uh, let me see if I'm remembering this right. Did he do some sort of farming when he was younger? Uh, yeah, he was a pig farmer in Iowa. Okay. Uh, and then, so, you know, I drove him to, I drove him to urgent care and sure enough, he had broken his shoulder. And I said, I said to him, dad, you know, you broke your you broke your shoulder at a point on the course where it was only one mile back to the lodge. 
yet you skied five miles out of the way to finish the race before you got there with a broken shoulder. Why'd you do that? It's like, oh, I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> you have any siblings? I have an older brother. You have an older brother? Is he athletic? Um, we, he was at the 2006 Olympics with me um, in, in cross-country skiing. No kidding. So, okay. Yeah, he was a, he's the loser of the family. He only went to one Olympics. Just one Olympics? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reminds me this week, uh, I keep seeing the um, the Kelsey brothers as the lead up to the Super Bowl comes up. The one guy's the center for the Eagles, the other guy's the tight end for the uh, for the 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 Chiefs, and um, they're trying to talk about which one of them's more successful. They've both been to like you know a handful of Pro Bowls and both won a Super Bowl. And I was like, I don't know how you, I don't can't really denigrate one of those resumes. You know what I mean? So yeah, just one just one uh, Olympics, huh? But basically, my point is, is, you know, the, the way I interpret pain, it might be different than others. My father has an incredible pain tolerance. So does my brother. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I was a kid, my we, we would wrestle with my dad and he would make us say mercy, but he couldn't make my brother say mercy. And he even said to me once, my dad said to me, like, I can't make him say mercy because I'm pretty sure to do it. I would have to break his arm. <laughs> kids I'm not going to do that. <laughs> kids not going to give up, but I'm not willing to go that far. Well, it's a hell of a good trait. I mean, it's obviously serving you well. Um, and uh, it's laudable. Hey, are there other autoimmune issues in your family at all? Uh, celiac, Hashimoto's? Um, hypothyroidism. Yeah. Not with you or with somebody else? I'm borderline. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of that, I'm, I, I monitor it very, very closely. Um, and if, if I cross a certain threshold, you know, I start probably having to take small doses of levothyroxine. Mm -hmm. Um, but my, my father has been hypo 30 years. Okay. And his is Hashimoto's, do you know, is it autoimmune? Yes. Yeah. All right. Chris, I can't thank you enough for coming back on and doing this with me again. You're uh, one of my favorite people to talk to about diabetes. And uh, and I just, I really appreciate your perspective. Well, thank you. It's always fun to talk to you too. Thank you. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that. G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. I also want to thank Chris Freeman. Remind you to find him on Instagram and Facebook. I'll tell you a little more about that in a second. After I thank the Contour Next One blood glucose meter, contournext.com forward slash juice box. When you support the sponsors with my links, you're supporting the production of the show. On Instagram, Chris is Chris Freebird, K-R-I-S-F-R-E-E-B-I-R-D. And on Facebook, Chris is always accepting new friends on his personal page, Chris.Freeman.5836. But you'll see him. There's a picture of him skiing in this like black suit. With a number one on his chest, that might be a seven. With another seven, with a number seven on his chest. Sorry, um, check him out. He's great. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast.